0: section 5 of the convivio this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by mary j the convivio by dante alighieri translated by philip h wicksteed section 5 treatise 2 chapters 1 to 6 chapter 1 Now that, by way of introductory discourse, my bread has been sufficiently prepared by my ministration in the preceding treatise, time calls and requires that my ship should issue from the port. Wherefore, adjusting the sail of reason to the breeze of my longing, I enter upon the open sea, with the hope of a fair journey and of a wholesome port and praiseworthy, at the close of this my feast. But that this my food be the more profitable, ere the first viands are served, I would show how it must be eaten. I say that, as was told in the first chapter, this exposition must be both literal and allegorical, and that this may be understood it should be known that writings may be taken and should be expounded chiefly in four senses. The first is called the literal, and it is the one that extends no further than the letter as it stands. The second is called the allegorical, and it is the one that hides itself under the mantle of these tales, and is a truth hidden under beauteous fiction as when Ovid says that Orpheus, with his lyre, made wild beasts tame, and made trees and rocks approach him, which would say that the wise man with the instrument of his voice maketh cruel hearts tender and humble, and moveth to his will such as have not the life of science and of art. For they that have not the rational life are as good as stones. And why this way of hiding was devised by the sages will be shown in the last treatise but one. It is true that the theologians take this sense otherwise than the poets do, but since it is my purpose here to follow the method of the poets i shall take the allegorical sense after the use of the poets the third sense is called the moral and this is the one that lecturers should go intently noting throughout the scriptures for their own behoof and that of their disciples thus we may note in the gospel when christ ascended the mountain for the transfiguration that of the twelve apostles he took with him but three wherein the moral may be understood that in the most secret things we should have but few companions the fourth sense is called the anagogical that is to say, above the sense, and this is when a scripture is spiritually expounded, which even in the literal sense, by the very things it signifies, signifies again some portion of the supernal things of eternal glory, as may be seen in that song of the prophet which saith that when the people of Israel came out of Egypt, Judea was made whole and free, which, although it be manifestly true according to the letter, is none the less true in its spiritual intention, to wit, that when the soul goeth forth out of sin, it is made holy and free in its power. And in thus expounding the literal sense should always come first, as the one in the meaning whereof the others are included, and without which it were impossible and irrational to attend to the others, and especially to the allegorical. It is impossible, because in everything that has an inside and an outside it is impossible to come at the inside, save we first come at the outside. Wherefore, inasmuch as in the scriptures, the literal sense is ever outside, it is impossible to come at the others without first coming at the literal again it is impossible because in every natural and artificial thing it is impossible to proceed to the form without first duly disposing the subject on which the form must be impressed just as it is impossible for the form of gold to accrue if the material to wit its subject be not first digested and prepared or for the form of a chest to come if the material to wit the wood be not first disposed and prepared Wherefore, inasmuch as the literal meaning is always the subject and material of the others, especially the allegorical, it is impossible to come at the knowledge of the others before coming at the knowledge of it. Further, it is impossible, because in every natural or artificial thing it is impossible to proceed unless the foundation be first made, as in a house, and as in study. Wherefore, since the demonstration is the building up of knowledge, and the literal demonstration is the foundation of the others, especially the allegorical, it is impossible to come at the others before coming at this. Again, suppose it were possible, it would be irrational, that is to say, out of order, and would therefore be carried on with much irksomeness, and with much error. Wherefore, as saith the philosopher and the first of the physics, Nature wills that we should proceed in due order in our learning, to wit by proceeding from that which we know better to that which we know not so well. I say that nature wills it, inasmuch as this way of learning is naturally born in us, and therefore, if the other senses are less known than the literal, which it is manifestly apparent that they are, it would be irrational to proceed to demonstrate them, if the literal had not been demonstrated first. I shall always first discourse concerning each ode as to the literal sense of the same, and after that I shall discourse of its allegory, that is, its hidden truth, and from time to time I shall touch upon the other senses incidentally, as shall suit place and time. CHAPTER two. To begin with, then, I say that the star of Venus had twice already revolved in that circle of hers which makes her appear at even or at morn, according to the two diverse periods, since the passing away of that blessed Beatrice, who liveth in heaven with the angels, and on earth with my soul, when that gentle lady, of whom I made mention in the end of the Vita Nuova, first appeared to my eyes, accompanied with love, and took some place in my mind. And, as is told by me in the aforesaid book, more of her gentleness than of my choice, it came to pass that I consented to be hers, for she showed herself to be impassioned by so great pity for my widowed life that the spirits of my eyes became in supreme degree her friends. And when thus affected, they so wrought within me, that my pleasure was content to put itself at the disposal of this image. But because love cometh not to birth and growth and perfect state in a moment, but needeth some certain time and nourishment of thoughts, especially where there be counter-thoughts that impede it, it was necessary, ere this new love became perfect, that there should be much strife between the thought which nourished it, and that which was counter to it, and which still held the citadel of my mind on behalf of that glorified Beatrice, wherefore the one was constantly reinforced from before, and the other by memory from behind, and the reinforcement from before increased day by day, which the other might not, as hindering me, in a certain sense, from turning my face backwards. Wherefore it seemed to me so strange, and also so hard to endure, that I might not sustain it. And with a kind of cry— To excuse myself for the change wherein methought I showed lack of firmness, I directed my voice to that quarter whence came the victory of the new thought, and the same, being a celestial virtue, was most victorious, and I began to say, ye who by understanding move the third heaven. Rightly to grasp the meaning of the ode it is necessary first to understand its divisions, so that it may thereafter be easy to perceive its meaning. And that there may be no need of setting these same words in front of the expositions of the other odes, I say that this same order which will be observed in this treatise, it is my intention to follow in all the others. I say, then, that the Ode before us is composed of three chief parts. The first is the first verse of it, wherein are introduced, that they may hearken to that which I intend to say, certain intelligences, or, to name them after the more customary use, certain angels, which are said over the revolution of the heaven of Venus, as its movers. The second is the three verses which follow after the first, wherein is shown that which was heard in the spirit within, as between the diverse thoughts. The third is the fifth and last verse, wherein a man is wont to address the work itself, as though to hearten it, and all these three parts in order are to be expounded after the fashion above expressed. CHAPTER three. The more clearly I discern the literal sense, which is our present concern, of the first part, according to the above division, we must know who and how many are they who summon to hear me. And what is this third heaven which I declare that they move? And first I will speak of the heaven— and then I will speak of those to whom I address myself. And albeit these things, in proportion to the reality, may be but little known, yet what little human reason sees of them hath more delight than the much and certain concerning things whereof we judge more fully according to the opinion of the philosopher in that of the animals. I say then that concerning the number of the heavens and their position, diverse opinions have been held by many, although the truth hath at last been found. Aristotle, following only the ancient grossness of the astrologers, Believed that there were no more than eight heavens, the extremest of which containing all the sum of things, was that whereon the stars are fixed to wit the eighth sphere, and that outside of that there was no other, moreover, he believed that the heaven of the sun came next after that of the moon, and that it was the second from us, in this so erroneous opinion of his, whoso wills may see in the second of heaven in the world, which is in the second of the books of nature, but truly he shows his excuse for this in the twelfth of the metaphysics where he lets us clearly see that he was just following the opinion of others, where he had to speak of astrology. Thereafter Ptolemy, perceiving that the eighth sphere, had more than one movement, since he saw that its circle departed from the direct circle, which turns the whole from east to west, constrained by the principles of philosophy, which of necessity, will have a prima mobile, of perfect simplicity, laid down the existence of another heaven, outside that of the stars, which should make that revolution from east to west. And I say that it is completed in about four and twenty hours, that is, in twenty hours, and three hours and fourteen out of fifteen parts of another, roughly reckoning, so that according to him and according to the tenets of astrology and philosophy, after the observation of these motions, the moving heavens are nine, and their relative position is manifested and determined according as, by the arts of perspective, arithmetic, and geometry, it is perceived by sense and reason, and by further observation of the senses, as in the eclipse of the sun, it appears sensibly that the moon is beneath the sun, and by the testimony of Aristotle, who saw with his own eyes, as he tells us in the second of Heaven and the World, the moon being at the half passed below Mars with her darkened side, and Mars remained hidden till he reappeared from the other shining side of the moon, which was facing the west. Chapter four. And the order of their position is this the first in the enumeration is that wherein is the moon, the second is that wherein is Mercury, the third is that wherein is Venus, the fourth is that wherein is the sun, the fifth is that wherein is Mars the sixth is that wherein is jupiter the seventh is that wherein is saturn the eighth is that of the fixed stars the ninth is that which is not perceived by the senses save by that movement which was spoken of above and it is called by many the crystalline heaven that is the diaphanous or all-transparent but beyond all these the catholics assert the empyrean heaven which is as much as to say the heaven of flame or the luminous heaven and they assert it to be immovable because it hath in itself, with respect to every part, that which its manner demandeth. And this is the cause of the prima mobile having the swiftest motion, because by reason of the most fervid appetite, wherewith every part of this ninth heaven, which is the next below it, longeth to be conjoined with every part of this divinest and tranquil heaven, it revolves therein with so great yearning, that its swiftness is scarce to be comprehended. But still and tranquil is the place of that supreme deity, which alone completely perceiveth itself, this is the place of the blessed spirits, according as holy church, which may not lie, will have it. And Aristotle likewise seemeth to agree hereto, to whoso rightly understandeth, in the first of heaven and the world. This is the sovereign edifice of the world, wherein all the world is included, and outside of which there is not. And it is not itself in space, but was formed only in the primal mind, which the Greeks call Protonoe. This is that magnificence whereof the psalmist spoke when he saith to god thy magnificence is exalted above the heavens and thus gathering up what hath been discovered it appears that there are ten heavens of which that of venus is the third whereof mention is made in that passage which i am intent on expounding and be it known that every heaven beneath the crystalline has two poles fixed with respect to itself and the ninth has them firm and fixed and immutable in every respect and each one the ninth as well as the rest has a circle which may be called the equator of its proper heaven which is equally distant in every part of its revolution from either pole, as he may see by the senses, who revolves an apple, or other circular thing. In this circle in each heaven hath greater swiftness of motion than any other part in that heaven, as may be seen by whoso rightly considereth. And each part, in proportion, as it is nearer thereto, moveth more rapidly, and in proportion, as it is remote therefrom, and nearer to the pole, more slowly, because its revolution is smaller and must of necessity take place in the same time as the greater. I say further, that in proportion as the heaven is nearer to the equatorial circle, it is more noble in comparison to its poles, because it hath more movement, and more actuality, and more life, and more form, and it touches more of the one which is above, and by consequence hath more virtue. And so the stars of the starry heaven are fuller of virtue, as between themselves, the nearer they are to this circle. And upon the hump of this circle in the heaven of Venus, of which we are at present treating, is a spherule, which revolves on its own account in that heaven, the circle of which the astrologers call an epicycle, and even as the great sphere revolves on two poles, so does this little one, and so has this little one its equatorial circle, and so is it more noble in proportion, as it is nearer thereto, and upon the arc or hump of this circle is fixed the most shining star of Venus. And although it be said that there are ten heavens, according to very truth this number doth not embrace them all. For this, of which mention hath been made, to wit the epicycle whereon the star is fixed is a heaven or sphere of itself, and it hath not one same essence with that which beareth it, though it be more co to it than to the others. It is spoken of as one heaven with it, and the one and the other is called the heaven of the star. How the other heavens and the other stars be, we are not at present to treat, let that suffice which hath been said of the truth of the third heaven, with which I am at present concerned, and as to which all that is needful for us, for the present purpose, has been completely expounded. CHAPTER V Now that it has been demonstrated in the preceding chapter what this third heaven is, and how it is disposed in itself, it remains to expound who they be who move it, be it known therefore, firstly, that the movers thereof are substances, say, from matter, to wit, intelligences, which are vulgarly called angels, and of these creatures, as of the heavens, Diverse have held diverse opinions, albeit the truth has been now found. There were certain philosophers, of whom Aristotle appears to be in his metaphysics, although in the first of Heaven and the World he incidentally appears to think otherwise, who believed that there were only so many of them as there were circulating in the heavens, and no more, saying that the rest would have been eternally in vain without operation, which, they held, was impossible, inasmuch as their being consists in their operation. Others were there, such as Plato, a man of supreme excellence, who laid down not only as many intelligences as there are movements of heaven, but just as many as there are kinds of things. As all men one kind, and all gold another kind, and all riches another, and so throughout the whole. And they would have it, that as the intelligences of the heavens are the generators of the same, each of his own, so those others were the generators of the other things, and the exemplars each one of its own kind. And Plato calls them ideas, which is as much as to say forms and universals." The Gentiles called them gods and goddesses, though they did not conceive them so philosophically as did Plato, and they adored images of them, and made most magnificent temples for them, for Juno, for example, whom they called the goddess of power, for Vulcan, whom they called god of fire, for Pallas or Minerva, whom they called goddess of wisdom, and for Ceres, whom they called goddess of corn. The which opinion is manifested by the testimony of the poets, who from time to time outline the fashion of the Gentiles both in their sacrifices and in their faith and it is also manifested in many ancient names, which survive either as names or as surnames of places and of ancient buildings, as whoso will may easily discover. And although the above-mentioned opinions were furnished by human reason and by no small observation, the truth was not yet perceived, and this both by defect of reason and by defect of instruction. For even reason may perceive that the above-said creatures are in far greater number than are the effects which men are able to note. And one reason is this. No one, neither philosopher, nor Gentile, nor Jew, nor Christian, nor any sect, doubts that either all of them, or the greater part, are full of all blessedness, or doubts that these blessed ones are in the most perfect state. And as, inasmuch as human nature, as it here exists, hath not only one blessedness but two, to wit, that of the civil life, and that of the contemplative life, it were irrational that we perceive those others to have the blessedness of the active, that is, the civil life, in guiding the world, and not that of the contemplative life, which is more excellent and more divine. And inasmuch as the one that hath the blessedness of guiding may not have the other, because their intellect is one and continuous, there must needs be others exempt from this ministry whose life consists only in speculation. And because this life is the more divine, and because in proportion as a thing is more divine it is more like to God, it is manifest that this life is more loved by God, and if it be more loved its share of blessedness hath been more ample." and if it be more ample, he hath assigned more living beings to it than to the other. Wherefore, we conclude that the number of these creatures is very far in excess of what the effects reveal. And this is not counter to what Aristotle seems to say in the Tenth of the Ethics, to wit, that the speculative life alone fits with the sejunct substances. For if we allow that the speculative life alone fits with them, yet upon the speculation of certain of these followeth the circulation of the heavens, which is the guiding of the world, which world is a kind of ordered civility perceived in the speculation of its movers. The second reason is that no effect is greater than its cause, for the cause cannot give what itself hath not. Wherefore, since the divine intellect is the cause of everything, especially of the human intellect, it follows that the human intellect transcendeth not the divine, but it is out of all proportion transcended by it, so that if we, for the reason above given, and for many others, understand that God could have made almost innumerable spiritual creatures, it is manifest that he hath indeed made this greater number. Many other reasons may be perceived, but let these suffice for the present. Nor let any marvel if these and other reasons which we may have for this belief are not brought to complete demonstration. Because for that very reason we should wonder at the excellence of these beings, which transcends the eyes of the human mind, as saith the philosopher in the second of the metaphysics, and should affirm their existence. For albeit we have no perception of them by sense, wherefrom our knowledge hath its rise, Yet is there in our intellect a kind of reflected glow of the light of their most vivid existence, in so far as we perceive the above said reasons and many others, just as a man whose eyes are closed may affirm that the air is luminous because of some certain glow, or as a ray that passes through the pupils of the bat. For even so are the eyes of our intellect closed, so long as the mind is bound and imprisoned by the organs of our body. Chapter six. It hath been said that by defect of instruction the ancients perceived not the truth concerning the spiritual creatures, albeit the people of Israel were in part instructed by their prophets, through whom, after many manners of speech and by many modes, God spoke to them, even as saith the Apostle. But as for us, we have been taught about this by Him who came from Him, by Him who made them, by Him who preserves them, to wit the Emperor of the universe, who is Christ, Son of the Sovereign God, and Son of the Virgin Mary very woman, and daughter, of Joachim and Anna, very man, who was slain by us, whereby he brought us life. And he was the light which lightens us in the darkness, as says John the Evangelist, and he told us the truth of these things, which we might not know without him, nor see them as they are in truth. The first thing, and the first secret, which he showed us there was one of the aforesaid creatures themselves, which was that great ambassador of his who came to Mary, a young damsel of thirteen years, on the part of the holy King Celestial, This our Saviour said with his own mouth, that the Father could give him many legions of angels. When it was said to him that the Father had given commandment to his angels to minister unto him and serve him, he denied it not. Wherefore it is manifest to us that these creatures exist in most extended number. Because his spouse and secretary, Holy Church, of whom Solomon saith, Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness, full of those things that give delight, leaning upon her friend, affirms, believes, and preaches that these most noble creatures are, as it were, innumerable, and she divides them into three hierarchies, which is to say, three holy or divine principalities. And each hierarchy has three orders, so that the Church holds and affirms nine orders of spiritual creatures. The first is that of the angels, the second of the archangels, the third of the thrones. And these three orders make the first hierarchy, not first in the order of nobility, nor in order of creation, for the others are more noble, and all were created at once. But first, in the order of our ascent to their loftiness. Next come the dominations, afterwards the virtues, then the principalities, and all these make the second hierarchy. Above these are the powers and the cherubim, and above all are the seraphim, and these make the third hierarchy. And the number of the hierarchies and that of the orders constitutes a most potent system of their speculation. For inasmuch as the divine majesty is in three persons which have one substance, they may be contemplated in threefold manner. For the supreme power of the Father may be contemplated. In this it is that the first hierarchy, to wit first in nobility, and last in our enumeration, gazes upon, and the supreme wisdom of the Son may be contemplated. In this is that the second hierarchy gazes upon. And the supreme and most burning love of the Holy Spirit may be contemplated. In this is that the third hierarchy gazes upon. The which, being nearest unto us, gives us of the gifts which it receiveth, And inasmuch as each person of the Divine Trinity may be considered in threefold manner, there are in each hierarchy three orders diversely contemplating. The Father may be considered without respect to aught save himself. In this contemplation the seraphim do use, who see more of the first cause than any other angelic nature. The Father may be considered according as he hath relation to the Son, to wit, how he is parted from him and how united with him. In this do the cherubim contemplate. The Father may further be considered according as from him proceeded the Holy Spirit, and how he is parted from him, and how united with him. In this contemplation the powers do use. And in like fashion there may be speculation of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Wherefore it behoves that there be nine manners of contemplating spirits to gaze upon the light which alone seeth itself completely. And here is a word which may not be passed in silence. I say that out of all these orders some certain were lost so soon as they were created, I take it to the number of a tenth part, for the restoration of which human nature was afterward created. The revolving heavens, which are nine, declare the numbers, the orders, and the hierarchies, and the tenth proclaimeth the very oneness and stability of God. And therefore, saith the psalmist, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament proclaimeth the works of his hands. Wherefore it is rational to believe that the movers of the moon be of the order of angels, and those of Mercury be archangels, and those of Venus be thrones, The which, taking their nature from the love of the Holy Spirit, make their work co-natural thereto, to wit, the movement of that heaven which is full of love. Whence the form of the said heaven conceiveth an ardour of virtue to kindle souls down here to love, according to their disposition, and because the ancients perceived that this heaven was the cause of love down here, they said that love was the son of Venus. Even as Virgil testifieth in the first of the Aeneid, where Venus saith to love, My son, my power! son of the Supreme Father, who heedeth not the darts of Typhius. And Ovid in the fifth of the Metamorphosis, when he tells how Venus said to love, My son, my arms, my might. It is these thrones that be appointed for the guidance of this heaven, in no great number. But the philosophers and the astrologers have diversely estimated it, according as they diversely estimated the circulation of the heavens, although all be at one, in this that they be so many as the movements which the heaven makes which movements, according as we find the best demonstration of the astrologers summarized in the book of the collection of the stars, three, one according to which the star moves in its epicycle, the second, according as the epicycle, moves together with its whole heaven, equally with that of the sun, the third, according as that same whole heaven moves, following the movement of the starry sphere, from west to east one degree in a hundred years. So that for these three movements, there are three movers. Further, the whole of this heaven is moved and revolves together with the epicycle from east to west, once every natural day. Whether which movement be of some intellect, or whether it be of the swaying of the prima mobile, God knoweth. For me it seemeth presumptuous to judge. It is by understanding solely that these movers produce the circulation in that proper subject which each moveth. The most noble form of heaven, which hath in itself the principle of this passive nature, revolves at the touch of the moving virtue which understandeth it, and I mean by touch not bodily touch, but virtue which directeth itself thereto. And these movers be they to whom my speech is addressed, and to whom I make my demand. End of section five.